0: Today's scripture reading is from Matthew eleven sixteen 16 through 19, and 25 through 30. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners but wisdom is proved right by her actions. Abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls, but spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The word
1: of the Lord. In Genesis, I had something all witty planned out to start off and then, you know, here we are and plans change. Uh, it is not lost on me that this morning we have children with us when we're talking about rest, okay? Now, you can laugh and there's, there's irony, there's truth telling in that. But I was sitting down here listening as we worshiped, and I was watching and listening to my own children, and we were singing, let our praises fill this temple. And I thought about all the noises that I think don't belong. So if you are a parent today, and you thought your kids were gonna be in their space, could we transform our minds for but a moment, and say, all of the noises here belong, that you can breathe easy, I don't care what they do, how rowdy or rambunctious they get, my kids were taking in part of the service upside down, so, (laughs) and again, here we go, God teaching me things right before that the kingdom of heaven belongs to children who look at the world upside down from what I do. So, here we are. (laughs) Let us pray and get started. (laughs) God, be with my words, the ones I've prepared, and the ones that will just come. God, be with our hearts as we prepare to receive something maybe many of us have heard a million times and have never quite understood how to put this to practice. God, fill this place with all the noises, and may we fill this temple with your praise. Amen. All right, so we're just going to jump right in. Uh, I was reading through the lectionary this week, and I wanted to just take a moment to say, where are we in the story of God? The reason we follow the church calendar, the lectionary, is so we can stay rooted in the larger arc of Scripture, the larger story. We have a trajectory, we kind of have a system that roots us into this thing that's bigger than just us here at Genesis. So, some themes that came across this week Genesis 24, I will go, I'll leave what's familiar and comfortable. Psalm 45, forget your country, be here, the king is wild for you. Song of Solomon, listen, look, winter's over, the whole earth is a song blooming around you. Zechariah, rejoice, your king comes to you, gentle, humble, and riding on a donkey. Psalm 145, he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, good to all, we're on a roll here. Then we get to Romans. I do not understand what I do for I, what I want to do, I do not do, and what I, ha- and I hate what I do. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Well, thanks a lot, Paul. We were, we were tracking along, compassionate, gentle Jesus. The king is here, be here now. And Paul says, well, I hate what I do, and I don't know why I do it, so please rescue me from this body of death. So here we go. Paul points out, that we so often overlook and disregard and pass up the invitation of Jesus to live a different way. Paul points out that we so often overlook are continually passing up the invitation of Jesus to actually live our lives a different way. Jesus has become so familiar to us that we miss the message entirely. So these verses start off, to what can I compare this generation? Jesus is addressing this generation because they too are passing up an invitation from him to live differently. In one uh, translation, the verses right before where we kind of jumped in are Jesus saying, are you listening to me? Really listening? So there's some frustration, some lament, some sadness over us missing it. Jesus continues, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a, dir- a dirge and you did not mourn. And so I thought about children this week. I thought about my kids showing up at a friend's house and without many formalities, they just kind of jump right into play. I thought about my kids on July 4th going over to a friend's house and literally that they greeted their friends by kind of meeting in the middle of the yard and then just like flying around the yard in like, you know, plane motions. And like, I just thought, what if I went to Steve Ween's house and he came out the front door, we were supposed to hang out, and he's like, just come with me for a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. Now, as crazy as that would seem, if we made a lap around his backyard, flying like planes, we would probably giggle, laugh, scream with joy, and, and wonder, what in the world are we doing? And so when this passage says the children call out to the others, some commentators have taken it to say, well, the, the children are calling out to other children. They're out of sync with each other. My argument is children are pretty rarely out of sync with each other. So who are the others they're calling out to? So, when they say, We have tried being joyous and you did not dance, we've tried being like a funeral and you would not lament, perhaps they're calling out to all of us in charge, all of us running things, all of us deciding what our lives are filled with, what our lives are like, what the essence is. And so maybe we can expand on what they're saying. You did not dance, meaning you did not participate. You did not lament and maybe we even caught ourselves saying, hey, it's time to stop being sad. You ever said that to your kids? I have. Perhaps these children are saying, look, we have some life in us. We are full of joy and sorrow. We know the seasons. We know how to dance and fly like planes. We know how to sing and dance for joy in the midst of mess And we know how to pause for grieving when the time comes. But you, you who are in charge, you are lifeless. You're out of touch. You've checked out. You're too busy. And if we can get over that initial shock of that sort of calling out, that we're out of touch, too busy, if we can get past our defensiveness and all the ways we want to say, but no, kids, you don't understand. If we can get past that, I want to suggest that perhaps there's an invitation that life is here. That if you bend down and see it and taste it and touch it, God's actually asking you to come and play. The children are saying, we have a secret about the essence of life, and we want to let you in on it. So we're this generation who doesn't have time for secrets. We aren't really listening. And then the passage goes on to prove that we'd rather stay on the sidelines and criticize the leadership. So that John the Baptist guy, well, his wildly outdated clothes were kind of cool for a while, but then he ate all those bugs in the wilderness, and he stayed separate from society, and he was always talking about repentance, so annoying, we're pretty sure that guy had a demon. So we're not going to follow him. And Jesus, ah, glutton, wino, not like W-H-I-N-O, but wino, like I like wine, always hanging out with the wrong people. He rode donkeys. He wasn't what we were expecting So we're going to reject, criticize, and eventually we'll kill him. So then where are we right now? Modern day, right now, I think we're stuck. I think we wonder what's next. I think we are hungry. We ask, what is the essence of life? Then the, the lectionary does this interesting thing where it skips over the next five verses which is essentially Jesus denouncing and rebuking all the cities where his invitation was rejected. Where they just kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, you know what? We're okay going our own way. This invitation doesn't mean anything for us. So I want to point out that if you go back to one of the prophets in Jeremiah, it says, my people are broken, shattered, And they put on band-aids saying, it's not so bad. We'll be just fine. Another translation says, they dressed the wound of my people as though it were not serious. And so I realize in a room this size, there are a variety of wounds, a lot of kinds of brokenness. But I'd like to propose that there's a certain broken way of doing things that we all have in common. And it's this. We have an overly hurried pace of life, and our best spiritual practice is speeding somewhere that is anywhere but here, which molds and shapes us into who we think we need to be and ought to be. It's a pace of life that robs us from our sense of wonder, and it paints God as a tyrannical maniac placing all sorts of demands on us. Psychologist Dan Allender says we live to tell each other how much we work, how much we still have to get done, how overwhelmed we are with the exhaustion of our labor. We admire busyness, speed, productivity, yet we envy those whose leisure is abundant. You guys familiar with Sisyphus in Greek mythology? Anyone? What did Sisyphus do? Sisyphus was given a task to push a boulder up to the top of a mountain. His task would be complete when he reached the top. And every time he got right within arm's reach, the boulder slipped through his fingers and toiled back all the way down the mountain, only for him to begin again for eternity. And so Jesus says, I have an alternative for you, but it's hidden. My father is still revealing his ways, praise to him. But these ways are hidden to sophisticates and know-it-alls, and they're spelled out clearly for ordinary people. They're hidden from the wise and the learned, and they're revealed to little children. Then he goes on to say, Jesus is saying now in Matthew, I know this seems too good to be true. I know this is going to seem upside down. It's going to be against all you know, all you experience, all that you think is possible. But I know the Father. I'm on par with the Father. I have intimate knowledge of what's going on. So are you listening? Are you really, really listening? Are you tired? Worn out? Are you you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. For I won't lay anything heavy or ill fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The NIV says, I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, where are we? We have this wound this broken way of doing things, of going about things, about doing relationships. And we say, it's, it's not that serious. Just a little Band-Aid, I'll be okay. What's your Band-Aid? Mine's a venti ice, caramel macchiato, light ice, extra drizzle. <laughs> Life's not so bad after all, after I have one of those. But I'm going to need one tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, maybe two after that. So if we go back to Jeremiah again and after we said we're wounded, we're broken and we're trying to pretend it's not so serious. It says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. And you'd think the people in Jeremiah would say, that sounds so refreshing. But they say two things. They say, we will not walk that way. We are not going that way. And I think our response in our generation and today is similar but a little bit different. We have a more nuanced, no, we're really good at kind of making it, turning it for our good, making it sound okay. And so in us, Genesis, friends of Genesis, we don't have the loud defiant, we will not walk in it. But we do have, we just can't right now. It's just not possible right now. And so for our time left, I want to explore what this invitation really means, some of the barriers we have, and a few possibilities of how we might practice. So what does this invitation mean? Come to me. So the man who rides into town on a donkey, the meek, the lowly, the humble, is also calling people authoritatively, come to me. Don't look anywhere else, don't look at a ministry or a church or an ordinance or a doctrine or a set of rules. Come to me. And so if he's saying come to me, he's also saying woe to everything else calling for your attention. Come to me. To those who are those who labor and are heavy burdened. So labor, things we put Ourselves, the heavy laden, the burdens placed on us by others. So, what are the things you do to yourself that make you feel heavy and labored? What are the things that have been done to you that put you in this place? In Jesus' time, the those laboring heavily and burdened were the common people under Roman occupation, where wealth and status and power at the expense of the lowly was the daily reality so then this invitation into a life that rejects the normative social order around us he says i'll give you rest you'll recover your life there's this word anapausin for rest It's not just idleness. It's Sabbath rest. It's an actual way of life that sets you on the road to recovery, refreshment and joy and delight, an invitation to celebrate, perhaps even an invitation to weep and mourn well, to be alive, to be here now. And it's interesting to note that the Sabbath itself is given before Genesis 3 when there's the fall. It's also given again as a commandment before the entrance to the promised land. So this invitation from Jesus this morning is both an invitation to remember creation and also anticipate recreation with your life. When the Sabbath is given, God calls it kadosh, holy, set apart. And it's the very first thing that God calls holy. So as we were singing that song, let our praises fill the temple. You'd think God God will be done with creation and he'll, he'll make a mountain or a sanctuary or a river and he'll call that holy and it will be a place where we know where to go and what to do and what to say and how to pray, but the first thing he calls holy is the Sabbath, this set-apart way of being in time right now. And so if our praises are going to fill this temple, the temple is our life. There's no place to arrive to on a Sunday morning, although I love being with you. There's no magical mountain that is set apart or a river where we can go and just know exactly what to pray and how to be. The challenge is, can you set apart this time, right now, as holy? Some ancient rabbis actually believed that though God was done creating on the seventh day, his actual choice to rest was an act of creation itself. That he was creating, I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm going to try, Menu Menuhah. You want to say that with me? Ready? One, two, three. Menuhah. Got to get the hua in there. I think that's how they do that. So God resting on the seventh day is actually itself a form of creation. That he was creating a joyous repose, a tranquility, a delight. And these rabbis believed that the world would be incomplete without it. So the essence of this good life Jesus is inviting us to is this essence of menuhua. You're being invited into more than just a simple withdrawal from labor and exertion. More than freedom from toil or strain or activity. This word Menuhua is synonymous with the life to come, the unfolding of all that is, an invitation into a new reality, a new possibility. And so when he says, Take my yoke upon you, walk with me, work with me, where do we see, when we think of a yoke, what do you guys think of? Where do we see those? Go ahead. Work, where else? Ox, what about slavery? Prisoners, but did you know there's also a positive spin on yoke, the yoke of wisdom? And so for this generation that's listening to Jesus at this time, their yoke, they're thinking of the Torah, Mosaic law, And when when Jesus says, take up my yoke, be my disciple, follow closely in the ways I have lived, this is your new possibility. And so one interesting thing is that Jesus is actually pointing out, it's not a question of whether or not you're hooked up to a yoke. All of us are. It's which one are you hooked up to? Who's guiding it? What does it feel like? How do you experience it? And this idea that we're searching for this ancient path, this well-worn path, I think of these huge kind of wagon wheel ruts that would be formed in the ground. And for Jesus to say, come join me in the ancient well-worn path, is for us to actually get off kind of our high point and step down into the path which says, I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to put away my pride. I'm ready to to put away the, the thought that I get it right all the time. I'm ready. And so perhaps Jesus is saying, as we plow, as we make our way, we're planting seeds. We're seeing to the shalom of our brothers and sisters. We're bringing wholeness and salvation. Many years ago I was in Estes Park and I was given the task of spending four hours in solitude. Now most of us can't not look at our phone for 47 seconds and we need to be checking in and things need to be buzzing, buzzing, buzzing all the time. So four hours was really, really hard. But I was observing this river that ran through Estes State Park and someone after told me did you notice the different spots in the river? I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, there's those those stagnant places where all that muck builds up and it's kind of gross and you wouldn't go there. And so our invitation from God isn't idleness. It's not nothingness. We don't want to live there. But then there's the rapids. And if you live in the rapids at a hurried, chaotic pace, you can't, You can't see what's in front of you. You're terrified. You're afraid of messing it all up. But there's these, these little spots in the river. They bend around the rocks, and there's the perfect flow. And if you could just stand there, you're part of what God is doing in the world, and yet you're not overwhelmed. You're not stagnant, and you're not in the rapids but you're in the flow of the river. And we say, well, that sounds beautiful. That sounds like a great place to be, but I've got so many barriers. And in some ways, we're crying out like Paul says, I know what I should do. I know that this invitation is on the table, but I hate what I do. And so maybe maybe one of your barriers is that Sabbath rest and delight scare you. Because you're more comfortable with work, not play. And you don't know what to do with joy. For some of you, you need to manage your disappointment with God. That in the past, your desire for delight has seduced you over and over. And it's never materialized. And you could never believe that God actually wants joy and delight for your life. For some of us, it's much easier to hold on to sorrow than to, to let go of joy. What I mean by that is, why should I start a Sabbath practice or a pursuit of an ancient path where I search and wrestle for delight in my life when I know there will be a time where I just have to like, let it go? And so here's my, my question for you. Is what if creating spaces of rest and joy in your life are actually what will heal your sorrow? What if creating spaces of rest and joy in your life are actually what will heal your sorrow. Richard Rohr, who I like reading and listening to, says we continue to confuse our life situations with our actual life. And our actual life is an underlying flow beneath the everyday events. So his question to us would be, what flow are you on? What's underneath the circumstances of your everyday, the formalities, the things that you need to do just to keep life going? What flow are you on? And he also says that no problem can be solved by the same consciousness that caused it in the first place. No problem can be solved by the same consciousness that caused it in the first place. So what do we do? Well, one thing I think we can do is we can get really honest about our weariness. We can tell each other, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I don't know where to go next. I don't know what steps to take. And if we choose to do that, if we choose to see our weariness and reframe it, I think this passage is explaining to us that our weariness could be seen as the doorway into the gentle mercy of Jesus, as a way of life. So reframe our weariness. We could memorize the the 23rd Psalm, put it up in our car, in our bathroom. He leads me beside still waters, that same word, that manuha, that stillness. We could make intentional spaces for rest and delight, even when you think you don't deserve it. We could practice the ordinary things, those rhythms, those unforced rhythms of grace. We could go for a walk with a child, if you can bear it. Dad, look at that leaf over there, how it fell on the other leaf. Dad, did you see those footprints on the path? What animal do you think that belongs to? Do you think that the animal is still here watching us right now? A sense of wonder at all that is before us. As we get ready to close, I want to share a vulnerable space with you. I think our biggest missing of this invitation to to follow Jesus in a radical way that transforms our life and offers us rest is something that I've been learning this week and before that, but we're always temporarily full. So I was going to Menards. I know, so emotional go to Menards. Um, And I was like, all right, if I go to this Menards, Then I head up this way before I go home. I can go to Starbucks, get that venti iced caramel macchiato, light ice, heavy on the drizzle. And I stopped again, and I said, man, why have I been so crabby with my kids lately? And I thought, what if I keep showing up temporarily full And it creates this sense that I have nothing to give them or receive from them. What if I show up annoyed with my kids because I think they're the problem that's interrupting my temporary fullness? Or what if I don't want to share my heart with my wife because I've gone out with the guys and I've done all the sharing I can do? I'm not calling Starbucks bad. I'm not calling guys night out or girls night out bad. Those things are, I mean, let's be real. Those are part of our lives. But are they helping or are they hurting? There's a balance. And so the other night, my five-year-old, this is, this is harder because he's here now. <laughs> but i think it's meant to be i had had a long day i was done i was spent i needed to i needed that escape of flicking through endless facebook news feed or so i thought and he said he was afraid and it was bedtime tears afraid And I did the thing, don't be sad, nothing to be afraid of, I need to get back to my temporary fulfillment. I didn't say it in those words, but I said, you need to be done, I'm done with this. And what I'm seeing is that what if the ancient path, the well-worn path to be here now, actually enfolds everything before us? What if the well-worn path is to respond and unfold all that is before us that doesn't make sense, that requires all of us and nothing less? What if I needed to occupy that space with him for him and for me? So I wonder in our lives where we're showing up temporarily full, And it's robbing us of participating in this beautiful circle of giving and receiving. Rest and encouragement and connection and delight and joy and freedom. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. I'll give you a new way to live. And sometimes you got to sit in the front row and turn yourself upside down to see it. But it's right there. And it's calling your name. And it's asking you to participate and not check out. It's asking you to do the hard work of setting before you a pace of joy and delight so that you can participate in God's fullness. So as we move into this 60 seconds of silence, I want to leave you with this. You can close your eyes. You can get comfortable in your chair. Come. Find the essence of your life. Come. I am gentle. I do not lord my ways over you. Come. My yoke is loving kindness. It is goodness and it is for you. Come. Be connected to the one who restores your soul. Come. Co create with me as the kin- kingdom breaks forth to heal this world. Come, experience freedom and joy. Come, recover your life.